We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Sabonis down the lane with authority. Lundberg skies high for the jam. Warren lets it fly. Yes! T.J. Warren is not human. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Setting the Pace. And joining me right now is JMV from The Ride with JMV on 1070 The Fan. JMV, what's going on, man? Alex, it has been uh, a long day and a long evening with fifth grade girls basketball. And let's uh, let's talk about something right now that may defensively be a little bit worse than what I just saw in fifth grade girls basketball. <laughs> maybe, just maybe. Oh man, yeah. No, no, it's not. It's not that bad, but it's it's been pretty tough to watch. Certainly, a lot of the season. Yeah, so let's just kind of start there because it's it's been a frustrating season for sure. I know the Pacers are yep. just two games under five hundred right now, and they've got a pretty pretty favorable schedule the rest of the season. I mean, they could easily, I think somebody texted me yesterday and said they could go eleven and seven and and finish with a winning record, which is quite funny to think about seeing how bad they played. But it looks like they're gonna be in that playing game with Chicago losing Zach Levine now. I mean at this point, it's just like if you're not going to tank and you're not going to be competitive in the playoffs, you're just kind of stuck in the middle, and that's where I feel like this team's at. Yeah, because it's been that way for a while, hasn't it? I mean, it really has. And I'll be honest with you, Alex, I've never been a big fan of the whole tanking routine Mm -hmm. because I think we all know this. I mean, even in the first-round disappointments, the Boston sweep, you know, what was the glorious pushing it to a seventh game, against Cleveland and, you know, what might have been, you know, going back to Vic's first season here. I mean, with all that, I, I, I would miss it. I really would. But of, of all the times, I think that if, you know, if you're Herb Simon, if you're, you're Steven Simon, and for the first time ever you wanted to legitimately tank, 
or mm-hmm. at the very least, just say, you know what? Don't worry about it this year. We'll build more for next year because you don't have a lot of fans in there. I mean, that's not a big concern. I mean, you know this as well as I do. I get more complaints on how people can't watch the Pacer games right now than the folks that can. So that's yeah. something they're going to have to get figured out in the offseason. This is not Pacer basketball op stuff, but just other Pacer sports entertainment concerns. And if there was going to be one year where you could have gone ahead and said, hey, listen, you know what? It's not going to happen. Let's see if we can get up, maybe get in that lottery, uh, get lucky for the first time in stinking forever and get a, a future pick that can really help us out. and We'll be here for a while. This would have been a year to do it, but uh, they chose not to. And, you know, they're kind of on that treadmill of mediocrity that they've been on for a while. And we can't find a, a star around here, certainly at least one that wants to stay ultimately. And <laughs> I, it's uh, going to be an interesting off season, but if they were going to do that this year, Alex, this would have been the year to do it, but alas, they chose not to. And, and I think one thing we have to put in perspective too, is this the age group of this team right here? H- how could you really sell a tank to this group of guys? You know what I mean? Yeah. And, ha- and have them buy in. I think that's one thing that I haven't really talked about either. I mean, when talking about trying to miss the playoffs or whatever to get a better draft pick, because like you got Sabonis, Brogdon, Lavert, Turner, they're all really in their prime right now. And yeah. if you have and if you have TJ Warren, let me ask you this: If you have TJ Warren for let's say the entire season, fully healthy, I mean, do you think this team is competing for the fourth, fifth seed? Um, they might. I mean, they might. I, I guess my biggest concern is what I said off the tip top there. That was th- this defense. I don't yeah. think this defense. Um, I, I don't think that that Kevin Pritchard and Chad Buchanan and company felt this defense was going to be this bad. And I've said this before because they had they were so close to trading Miles, and yeah, I, I mean, people can say what they want about Miles, but these guys are evolving door to get to the basket on the perimeter. They just are. And, and I don't know if that's ever going to get any better. I think regardless of the circumstances, even with TJ Warren, a lot of what we've seen defensively is going to be an issue. Now you do put it in an interesting term here because listen, Alex, it could end up being this way. I mean, it could end up hey, you're just going to outscore somebody, you know, Bjorkman wants to score a lot of points. You add TJ Warren into the mix I mean, clearly that's going to force him to to go with one big. The one big thing offensively has worked out a lot better. But, I mean, the defense is just still woeful. And honestly, I don't know how much of that gets better with Warren. Are they going to be capable of outscoring some teams? Sure. Are they still going to be kind of in the middle? Are they going to be able to you know outscore the, the top teams, for example, in the Eastern Conference? I doubt it. Mm. So I get what you're saying. And, and really, that was the carrot. I mean, when you think about it, everybody just said, hey, if you can just continue moving forward and, you know, be in the neighborhood of, you know, five or whatever, and you get Warren back, and then who knows what's going to happen. And then, you know, after the trade deadline, you know, three hours after the end of the trade deadline, they drop that nugget of info that he's gone for the rest of the season, and that was completely deflating. So, I listen, I would like to agree with you on that, but because the defense has been so bad – and because I think they really did overestimate how good it was going to be. I don't think they had really much thought about how bad it was going to be, especially on the perimeter to me at the beginning of the season. I still think that plays a significant role with this team. And, and I think they probably knew that Bjorken wanted to play a more modern style of defense, and I think that probably excited them a little bit too much 
to get more modern because for so long, I mean, in the past 20 years, they're known to be a defensive team that has good but not great offense, but they win with defense. And clearly by hiring Bjork and letting Dan Burke go, I mean, they were saying, hey, we want to head in a new direction with this with this franchise. And, you know, sometimes you bite off more than you can chew. And that's what's happened to this team right here for me, quite frankly. it's I look at this roster, and like you said, the, the guards have not played well in the perimeter. I mean, you can you can blame it on Sabonis. You can blame it on whoever for the bad defense, but – Sabonis is completely playing out of position. I'm sorry. It's just not his natural fit. He's a, he's a five, and he's trying to guard forwards, chase him around the wings, and he's gotten better throughout the season at what they've asked him to do, but he's just not good at what he's supposed to do. So to me, quite frankly, it's like Bjorkren doesn't have that pedigree enough to go in there and you know ask for changes with, with the roster, but I think that if it was his, you know, if he could do that, I really feel like he would ask for some drastic changes with this roster because, quite frankly, they might be one of the most unathletic, uh, you know, top to bottom teams in the NBA, yeah. and that's and that's just it's just weird to think about. But they're just so underwhelming when it comes to athleticism. Boy, they are. There's no doubt. And I will say this: I mean, I, I like Sabonis a lot. I know. See, when when I do three hours a day, people want to try to hedge me, you know, Miles versus Sabonis, and I've never looked at it that way. I will say this about Sabonis, and I know he is out of position who he's guarding, but even when he's guarding somebody he's supposed to be guarding, he still gets worked. And yeah. I don't know if that's ever really going to change either. It's like it's like what you just said. I mean, it's there's not a great deal of athleticism here. Thus, you don't see them, you know, staying in front. I'll give you a great example. I mean, just like Cleveland, for example, you know, led by Colin Sexton. You think that they're ever going to be able to stay in front the way they're built right now of, of what Cleveland has, you know, in the backcourt? Nah, mm -hmm. they just, it's just not going to happen. I don't know how, Alex, they're going to go through this offseason and not make, you know, significant changes is kind of a relevant term or a relative term here. Um, I, I, to me, there's no doubt they're going to trade miles uh, this offseason. But do you keep the, the backcourt the way – that it is. I mean, what what do you do there? You put T.J. Warren back in the mix. Who goes where, what, when, and why? You have a good feel for how that's going to look, and is it going to have to look drastically better, you think? I, I just can't yeah. think they can go on moving forward with what they have. No, and it's interesting that you bring up that they're going to trade Turner because I've heard a lot, to me, quite frankly, on Twitter, it's been a lot of pro-Miles, anti-Sabonis especially this season, as Sabonis has started to complain quite a bit more with foul calls, not get back on the other side of the of, of defense when he doesn't get a foul call. Um, and then you've got Turner playing his best basketball of his career, and people are like, for this style, we got to keep Turner. But um, it was funny, J&B, uh, that J. Michael posted um, a, a video earlier today with Sabonis like backing down Christian Wood and missing a fadeaway hook shot. And a fan replied and said, I expect Sabonis to be traded during the offseason. And Jay replied, shouldn't get your hopes up. You're going to be disappointed. So I think that for anybody thinking that they're going to keep Miles over Sabonis, it's hard yeah. to tell. But I, I just don't think you can sell to your franchise. Well, uh, it your won't. fans, yeah. you're trading your, your two-time All-Star. There's and no so, way. And I've said that, Alex, all along. I mean, it is it, – A, it is easy to trade miles. And B, miles – I mean, let's face it, especially for teams that are on the verge of doing something and yeah. they want to bring somebody in as rim protection, protection down low that does not need the ball a great deal and is cool without 
taking shots and, you know, all this. I mean, he, he's perfect for that format. I mean, he really is. And I think, I don't know if you agree with me or not, but if you're looking at somebody, you know, as far as market value, to me, he brings back more than Domus does. And part of, I guess, the argument with Domus, if you want to go that angle, is has he peaked? I mean, have we seen, you know, what Sabonis is? Um, now, you can also make the argument, too, you know, the team around him, if it changes up by virtue of, of having his game and then addition to some more athleticism and some more guard ability. Yeah. You know, does that make the team better? But I, I don't think there's any question as far as the market value is concerned that Miles would certainly bring you more in the open market than that of, of Sabonis. So I, I just don't think there's any way in this offseason that uh, Miles doesn't get traded. And then, you know, we're going to see about what this, what this backcourt is going to look. You expect Brogdon, Levert, Warren, Sabonis, and – Whoever they trade they Miles for, miles? I guess. Right. I mean that that'd be my guess, and and I and I think it's interesting you ask who has more value. I mean Sabonis obviously has a larger pedigree as far as if you're looking at accolades and what he's accomplished, I guess you could say. And I think if you trade Sabonis, it have to be to the right team. Like I, I always look at a team like Washington, you know, because I've I've heard they've liked Miles as well. But if they can talk themselves, they need a center. I think Domas makes or yeah, Domas makes a lot of sense for them. And if, if Bradley Beal said he wanted out, then would you be willing to package one of Levert, you know, Brogdon or whomever to get a Bradley Beal type guy, a guy that doesn't play defense at all either? So it's like that's that's to me like I don't know what your return would be for Sabonis. What's really weird to me is just the return that we've – the reports that we've heard on the return for Turner throughout the last couple of seasons when they have dangled him out there for trade talks. It doesn't seem like the Pacers have been very happy – with what right. they're getting offered. So to me, it's going to probably be a sign and trade and I'm not sure where it's going to happen because the only team right now that makes a lot of sense to me that needs a center badly is Toronto. Um, and, and who are they going to give up? I mean, there's always those connections there with Bjorkren and, and nurse and, and could they work something out? I know that new Orleans has had a lot of interest in miles as well, but they just signed Steven Adams to a stupid extension, which made zero sense to me, but there are yeah. still talks that they could trade for Turner. And I think if you're looking at maybe bringing in a point guard, I've talked with some friends of mine, and we've kind of kept our eye on restricted free agent Lonzo Ball. You could do a sign-in trade to get him here. And I think Lonzo's actually had a really good season before he went down at the injury. His three-point shot has improved. He's really smart defensively, a great passer. And he's actually pretty athletic. I think that he would make some sense in that type of trade. But all in all, I mean, I really think that if they're going to go make this move – They've either got a one get of of a, a wing or a forward, whatever you want to call it, that can guard bigger forwards, bigger wings, because they just don't have that. I mean, even with Warren, he's not great at it. Or they've got to go out and get a point guard. And to me, they really need a true point guard on this roster, but not like a Ricky Rubio true point guard, but like a Chris Paul like type of player. You know what I mean? Like that yeah. was we we threw that out a couple of times, like Turner and Oladipo for Chris Paul, and everybody was just like hating on us because of how old he is and how much money he makes, but look at where Phoenix is at this year. I, I think that people kind of underrate just how much he brings to, to the table. And not only on the court, I just think that his veteran leadership pushes guys. And I think that's an area the Pacers need to address as well, getting a true veteran in there to kind of push this team, similar to when the Pacers brought in Byron Scott back in the 90s. You know, it'd be interesting too. I, I, I think about this. I mean, we're going to see him and 
and nothing's coming to my mind right now, but what about like a team like Atlanta? Mm-hmm. I don't know what else they and have. They got Capella, offer. and he's been playing pretty well. Um, yeah, Capella. Charlotte's. There, I guess he, Capella's the equivalent of Miles, I guess. Capella's kind of like what Theo Ratliff. And I guess that's kind of what Miles is, too. I mean, he's a better three-point shooting threat of Theo Ratliff from back in the day. But, yeah, I guess Atlanta does have Capella. I was kind of going through where he may or may not fit. And, I mean, you bring up a good point. I don't know how how many teams out there um, would have that necessity right now, unless yeah. it's kind of a side-of-trade thing. So Charlotte could make some sense. I know they've had a lot of interest in him. That was reported by Zach Lowe and Woj during the trade deadline. And, and quite frankly, if you want to try to get back a bigger forward like P.J. Washington or Miles Bridges, trade a Miles for Miles, that would be very surprising. That'd be very, like, pacery to me to see a Miles for Miles trade just because it's – What nice about his – I know they have Porzingis. What about his hometown? What about Dallas? I mean, that's that's interesting, but who are you going to get back? I mean, to me, yeah, I don't, don't have anything. No. See, I don't want to trade Miles and then just get back, like, two two or three players that equal the level of him, you know, like to replace him. Like, I don't want to do a two-for-one type thing. You know, you could maybe get like Maxi Kleba, who's who's a fine big, but does he really make you that much better? No, that, that's that'd be silly. I think Miles is the better player. I think Sacramento is another team that I looked at that needs a center. Uh, the Marvin Bagley experience has kind of failed. Um, I don't know what players are out there. I like, and I, I think uh, Jay Michael brought this up with you, uh, Harrison Barnes. That was a guy that I talked to him about yeah. with, just because he's that type of player that they need. But at the same time, is he worth? Miles Turner and it's like uh, probably not. I mean, if you're if you're really thinking about it in the long term of things, because Barnes is 28, 29 right now, and he's on a fairly reasonable contract, but trying to find that perfect trade match is is hard, hard on the market. So that's why I do think sign and trade. And I wonder how much the Pacers value trading out of the out of the conference because that could be what holds them up with making a trade with somebody like Charlotte. And I think that's one of the reasons Boston didn't go through with the trade is they probably felt like if they gave Gordon Hayward to the Pacers for Turner and McDermott, they were going to make the Pacers better and they felt like they were going to get worse. So that's why I think they were more than okay doing the trade exception to Charlotte because they had lost Hayward at that point and, and chances of getting him back. Hey, I got a question for you. Yeah. What um, what would you think this Pacers team would look like if that Miles – for what well, was it, Miles and was it Miles and Oladipo or Miles and McDermott yeah. or uh, Gordon Hayward? Yeah, so it was like I think what the Pacers offered was McDermott, Miles, and a first round pick yeah. for Hayward, and it was going to be around twenty two to twenty five million per year for Hayward. He was, you know, they were, he was going to take a hometown discount, but not like entirely too big of a discount, obviously. And Boston basically said they didn't want Turner. That was the reports out of Boston, obviously, said that they actually. We're going to take on Turner maybe to do this deal and try to trade Turner, but they didn't like what they saw in the open market for him. Yeah, so, I mean, Aaron Holliday, I think, was someone else that the Pacers were unwilling to part with at that point, and I think that's kind of funny looking back at it now. Um, I think they value him a little too much and probably just a little bit of a don't want to admit that they miss on another draft pick type thing, but he's shown flashes. I mean, I don't want to write him off completely, but he's just not been great. But as far as that deal goes, I mean, I think they'd be playing a little bit more of a Bjorken system and I think it might work a little bit better um I know that we would struggle with protecting the rim but I think Sabonis would be in better position defensively than he is now if you don't lose Warren and you're able to keep Levert for the Oladipo trade well, that's a pretty good starting five in my opinion it's just 
how much better is it than it is now? I mean, I, I would say maybe three or four wins, but not like a drastic change where you feel like you're an Eastern yeah, Conference contender. Yeah, and I guess then the problem you're going to have, anybody's going to have with a longer-term Hayward deal is you, you're going to look back on it later on and that go, holy crap, what's going on here? Yeah. I mean, because just it is, and I love him to death, but the injury situation, lack of games, things like that, it will just happen. There's no way around it. It is just going to happen. And I think the end of that deal would probably look a hell of a lot uglier than it would there at the beginning. And I agree with that to some degree. I think that what when it came out of the Pacers, like Hayward was probably the biggest free agent last year uh, available on the market. And the fact that he wanted to come to Indiana, the fact that somebody was choosing Indiana, which never happens, was probably a little bit, you know, so enticing to the Pacers organization that they were like, Oh, we got to make a move on this. And I think Pacer fans more than likely would have been happy with it, especially how well Hayward's played this year. I don't know how much different we would look than Charlotte, but I definitely think it'd be a lot different than how he's been used and utilized. It would probably have been more. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed of how he was utilized in Boston than how he was in Charlotte. So there could be, there could have been some issues there. But what about Boston again? The, I mean, I, I obviously think so. they went with Tristan Thompson. and he they have, though? That's year. the thing. Marcus yeah. Smart? I mean, is that what you want back? I'm not taking on Kimba's contract and they're not giving me one on Brown or Tatum. So it's like, are there any young guys on that team that you like? I mean, I can't think of any. I mean, got Romeo Langford, nah, Grant Williams, no thanks. I mean, it's just like. They've, they just don't have a great roster. Uh, they they tie a lot. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcast. Money up into Kimba Walker. Um, I, it's 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 hard to tell. Maybe Orlando. They're a team that I know they have Mo Bamba, but with them trading Vooch, they might want a center. I'm not sure what all they have down there, but if they have a draft pick or well, I mean they got Gary Harris down there now. Um, <laughs> yeah, from like that we want- deal from the Nuggets. Yeah. Um, they, I, I mean. There, there does not seem to be a lot of options, but yeah. 
I mean, thinking about and talking about this right now may look completely different. It's, for example, you find a team that goes in the postseason and, you know, the finger pointing goes, well, this is why you guys are failing is because, you know, defensively and you need this. And, rim, you know, everybody starts talking about rim protection. Hey, are you one of those at all that believes what Miles does rim protection wise is overrated? Oh, not at all. I, I believe that it's I think it's very important, but I do think sometimes, you know, <laughs> The the team does a bad job. I mean, I'm never one to call out a guy for why the defense is terrible or why the offense is terrible. It's not a one-person fault. And to me, it's a, a collective thing. You know, if Turner's going to block shots, well, whoever's guard got by him, you know, they got to get down there and rebound the basketball. That's one thing I've liked in the last three games from Brogdon is his aggressiveness on the glass. I mean, I think he's been close to double digits almost every time since he's been back the last three games. Uh, he was a little rusty in that first game back against Orlando, but that's that's just one thing they all have to work at on the perimeter is, hey, if you get beat, you've got to crash the glass because if Miles steps up to block a shot, it's not his responsibility to block that shot, then corral the rebound. I mean, that's that's a lot to ask somebody. I mean, but his ability to not just block shots but alter shots, it, it does make the defense or the offense think more when they're attacking the rim. And they see Sabonis, I mean, it's a green light. So that that I definitely agree that. Well, and, and that's important. what I talk about all the time, too. It's not even the shots that he will block. You know, it's not even the it, – it's it's just, you know, ushering people who are basically unimpeded going to the rim under other circumstances to think again, to, to keep dribbling the ball, to drive back out. And that, that's – I mean, I, to me, that's important. I mean, you can also look at it in other ways. These guys continue to dribble, and ultimately they're going to find probably a skip pass of somebody wide open because this is such a three-point shooting league now. I, I don't know. It just I, – I wish, and I, I have tried to, to, uh, to support, and I don't know him from anybody. He's been on the show like twice. But I try to support him because I always thought – from a lot of the fans, he got a bit of a raw deal. And I got yeah. sick and tired of everybody getting all over him and blaming him for absolutely everything. And and I really – I guess it was a couple of years ago when he would go to Texas and he'd work on his game. And I think he was doing yoga or something like that. <laughs> everybody's, everybody's making fun of him. And I go, listen, the dude – two things. Two things that you got to know when you follow this Pacer team – one is you gotta love it, regardless of what the guy is doing in the offseason. If he's working his ass off, then so be it. Secondly, he's a guy that's wanted to be here. I mean, you yeah. can't find three people that want to be here longer than a couple of years. Yeah. And I mean, who knows? You may have dudes on this roster right now that don't want to be here past a couple of years. I mean, we've been down this path before. This is a difficult place to get NBA players to come set roots and really what's tough for the fan base the fan base the fan base has to see somebody wanting to be here that's yeah. what what Oladipo ended up doing I think so damaged folks here because they thought he was basically from DC but he was one of them you know he loved to be here and he's feathery and you know he's doing Fisher's imports commercials and he's kissing babies you know, and sign and go, you know, all that stuff. And what did it take for him to want to get the hell up and get out of here? Nothing. Zero. And really, you can make an argument that his situation was as worse, at least equal to, 
that of what Paul George in the situation he put Kevin Pritchard and the Pacers in years ago. It is just when you find people that want to be here because it is a tough sell. I don't know if I'm a fan base. If I'm a fan, I want to be running those type of people off. And that always kind of rubbed me the wrong way because everybody was always all over him. All these fat asses talking about how he's soft and he can't do this and he can't do that. Meanwhile, okay, well, hey, fat ass. I mean, look at you. Look at your reflection. I know this is a fan's perspective and all, but it just used to piss me off because he's a dude that actually wanted to be here, whereas you can't find two or three that really want to. And if I'm a Pacer fan, I really wouldn't want to try to, to run that off. Now, I will say this now, Alex. I mean, I think we've been far enough down this road to understand that what is going on now is not working. So it is, it is some, there's going to have to be a change made. But that, that, that's one of the reasons why I kind of jumped on board of the support because, I mean, you get people – not enough people want to play here in the first place. And when you have them here, to me it would stand to reason – that you wouldn't want to try to run them off, um, especially if they can give you something, especially if they're still young, still have some promise, whatever. And I thought a lot of people around here did that, unfortunately. But there's no doubt that the time is going to be in the offseason. It's coming. There's no question. Yeah, and I, and I think when it comes – I want to go back to Turner and what kind of happened where fans kind of turned on him. I think Larry Bird really set the bar high for, for Miles. Coming in saying he could be the best draft pick we've ever had. I don't know. Yeah. That kind of rub Paul George the wrong way um, because Paul has uh, too big of an ego for the state of Indiana. But I, I think you saw that first game in Miles' sophomore season. I think he had 30 points and 16 rebounds against the Dallas Mavericks. And I think a lot of fans were like, oh, wow, Larry Bird was right. Like this kid's special. And then after that, he just kind of regressed a little bit into the kind of the pretty much a statistical player that he is now. Now, clearly he's gotten better. And if you haven't seen that, then you're just not knowing what to look for. But I, I think I was kind of in that umbrella of frustrated with him because I thought he was supposed to be better than what was advertised. And um, it, it really just kind of frustrated me. I felt like the playoff series against the Cavaliers was kind of depressing for him. Just seeing Tristan Thompson work him in that game seven, you know, yeah. there there was that level of physicality that I think he lacked in his game that's gotten better. And I think that's one thing that frustrated me. I think I think you had Mike Wells on your on your show one day and he was talking about Turner being soft and that kind of stuff. And at the moment I was like, yeah, I kind of agree. Turner needs to improve quite a bit. Uh it's there's there's something lacking here with Turner that's turning me off to him a little bit and it felt like every time that he opened his mouth to kind of say something to the, the haters or try to build himself up and praise himself up. Every time that happened, like the next game or whatever, he would not There's have There's no doubt. Game. Yeah. I've, I've always said that. That's what I always said. I mean, he's <laughs> he he has a game. I, I, think, I think everything's affected him. I think Twitter stuff, I think what people have said about him, all that stuff has affected him. And I think he's been at his best is when he shuts all that out and shuts all that down. But when he has good games or a good game and then somebody starts talking nice about him, you know, he'll what, – what game was it this year? It was recently, too, where they brought up, um, you know, defensive player of the year, you know, and all of a sudden he started talking about how, you know, important he was. I, I, I wish he would shut that stuff down. Yeah. I mean, I do. And I, I think that stuff gets in his head and that stuff is not good for him. At least I think we have seen that while he's been here. That stuff not being 
not being good for him. Now, you know, with the bird stuff, people around here, all you had to do was watch when he was a freshman at Texas play against Butler. And you kind of knew that this thing was a project. I mean, regardless. He came off the bench. (laughs) He came off the bench. He didn't do anything. I mean, nothing. And I I mean, to me, I guess I had that feeling um, whenever he came in here, but listen, should he be better? offensively yeah I, I've never viewed him as a guy that was ever going to have a back to the basket type of game that's why I kind of gave that comparison to if Theo Ratliff could have shot threes back in the day I mean Theo yeah. Ratliff wasn't going to back anybody on the block or make any post moves or anything like that he was going to block shots and kind of detour people out of the lane and you know get put back stuff if there were a couple of things I wish wish Miles would do better um I wish he would just go after – even when he's not going after a block, I wish he would just go after every rebound. Like, yeah. you ever notice this? And not so much this year, but in the past years, like, he would let guys – he would let guys just take these – I mean, not tough rebounds, but just nobody's around, and all of a sudden you'd see, like, an old Lance Stevenson play would swoop in there and grab the rebound to pad some stats or something like that. I thought, Miles, would you just grab that son of a gun? If you'd grab two or three of those a game where you have nobody to battle against, then you, maybe you end up with seven rebounds. And it doesn't look as bad as when it looks when you have four rebounds. You know what yeah. I mean? You just kind of just let guys in there and let them have it. I, I always hated that. I mean, I, I did. And I never thought he was as aggressive enough, um, certainly, Um I always thought that he had potential to certainly shoot it and do some things, and he's shown that. But it's just it's just kind of weird. He was a guy, I think he always – like Paul George always wants to know that somebody's saying nice things about him. He really – I mean, he can't deal with it when they don't. That's been a struggle for him. And Miles, I think, goes both ways. I think Miles struggles when people say bad stuff about him and he reads it or sees it. And I also think that it can go when he starts feeling himself a little bit and kind of getting full, then you're right. I mean, normally the next game, the bottom kind of falls out a little bit. So, you know, maybe he's found, found that competitive balance a little bit, but it, it always happens. It seemingly always happens. And I just think that everybody looking at 33 right now needs to recognize that this is probably it. You know what I mean? He's probably a 12 and six type of dude and, you know, can occasionally get you 20 to 25 and occasionally get you 12, 13 rebounds. You know, if you need him to protect the rim, he will. But that's I, – I think we have kind of seen what he is he is going to be in the NBA, and either you embrace it and like it or you don't or whatever. But, yeah, yeah he's not going to be the greatest all-time draft selection in the history of the Pacers, as Larry Bird alluded to back when they drafted him, so. Yeah, he's had some takes, Larry Bird has. I mean, Willie Cauley Stein, a hundred million dollar player. I mean, I, I'm I just that made me Willie, laugh. yeah. Willie Cauley Stein, the one hundred million dollar player. Yeah. yeah. No, it's just and I Yeah, I, I, and then I mean, really, and then go back to the Paul George thing too. And you know, Paul don't make these decisions around here. Well, you know what? He does, and I know Larry did make those decisions around there, but Paul plays a significant role through his happiness. It's probably better suited for somebody that has that type of ego not to run that. And I, I mean, I, I think Larry kind of, he kind of was at a crossroads between what it was and what he was able to say. And it didn't matter to then what, what he would say now and, and hurt 
you know, little wussy feelings like that. Yeah. That's kind of the way that it was. He never, he never really found that, that common ground when it came to that. And, you know, you just have to deal with dudes differently. You know what I mean? I mean, you yeah. just, you have to deal with some dudes differently. And that was probably one of the first steps before uh, when, when Paul found out that he wasn't going to want to be around here long-term. Yeah. And I just don't think Larry was going to put up with that either. It's just not Larry's personality to let someone kind of, bully him into making decisions you know what i mean so yeah and again i mean he was in boston all those years right and they were always yeah. good man always good until his back started hurting and yeah. giving out the pacers are different i mean you get somebody like that you gotta hold on to them i mean yeah. you gotta hold on to them and hope that they're you know they're gonna want to be here for the long haul because opportunities like that like we're still waiting on i know kevin has not have you know high draft choices and stuff but you would think at some point in time just throwing darts at a dartboard that one yeah. of these guys would turn out to be good. I know we all kind of look at TJ Leaf as as the gauge of of what not to do and what not to draft and stuff. But you know that's kind of where they are on this treadmill. If if you don't get lucky, if you don't get fortunate with one of these picks, and then especially if some guys around you end up playing better. I mean, we went through that thing with Ananobi, right? Yeah. When they start playing better around you, um, you're going to take some heat for that and you know kevin kevin certainly has been more savvy in trading and bringing players in than he has in trying to find that diamond in the rough in the teens or early 20s first round pick that just doesn't happen yeah and he's not been nearly as aggressive as he was with the with portland yeah. in his first senior and he kind of he kind of talked about that he's like yeah he's like i don't want to make a move just to make a move and i kind of learned from my mistakes in portland by doing that I mean, when he came on our podcast, JB, I won't lie to you. It really seemed like he wants to run it back. And I, I just – that's why I posed that question to you on Twitter yeah. last week. I just – I wouldn't be happy with it. I just wanted to know what the fan base thought and kind of just yeah, get conversation going. I don't think going. you can do it. I don't th- – I mean, I don't think uh, you can do it with both – with everybody. I mean, with I, – I guess the only part about that, Alex, I can understand is if he wants to run it back because he feels – he hasn't seen them all together, and he's right about that. I mean, he hasn't seen it all together yet, but as I mentioned earlier, I think we have seen enough. I mean, even with T.J. Warren being a part of this, there is still a ceiling that's not at all where you want to be with this Pacer team, I think, moving forward. There is just – there's going to be a capper on it. I don't think there's any way around it. Even not seeing these guys all out there – together at once i think there's going to be a capper and you're still going to be on that that motion and the treadmill of just moving and you know in and out of mediocrity and i think fans have kind of seen enough of that yeah and i think one thing too to go back to why they were more willing to trade Turner in the offseason i think you just saw how how well tj warren played with only having one big in the bubble i think that was probably a little bit of like hope to them like hey if we do go this small ball style we got something special here and uh you know tj warren i mean i I think he can still be a really impactful player and like at at his peak i think if he can stay healthy and continue to thrive like he did last season i mean i'm i'm looking at a guy that i would probably consider top 30 if he can hit threes like bubble player what what if he's a bubble player though i mean miami was a bubble team look what miami did as a bubble team well i know some of these guys some of these guys you know in miami in particular I mean, you know, you can look at Denver, 
You know, I know without Jamal Murray now, but I mean, Denver is a team. I believe they're down three one, two different, three different times, two different think, times, yeah. two different times in the postseason in the Western Conference. So th- th- those are just situations that aren't going to happen under normal circumstances. And I think you can question what we saw from TJ Warren if we're going to see that night in and night out when the NBA's sense of normalcy does set in because we've certainly seen that with the heat. It's kind of funny too. If you remember the heat last year, they couldn't do anything on the road. Yeah. Did nothing. They were good at home. Couldn't do anything on the road. And man, when they landed in Orlando, those dudes did miss. <laughs> I, I mean, didn't miss same background every night, same non crowd every night. And those guys were locked into that atmosphere. I think that's, I think it's true. I think that you got bubble guys and I think you got bubble teams and, I would, I would question whether or not – T.J. Warren's going to be good offensively. Don't get me wrong. He's going to be addition to this team. I just don't know if I'd look at him as the, hey, this is T.J. Warren to put up 53 and expect that sometime again soon. Yeah, and I, and I think even before the bubble, T.J. Warren was having a really good season. I think we saw improvements on the defensive end. And offensively, I mean, he was the guy that they could give the ball to uh, to, to bail him out at the end of a shot clock. And that's what they really missed this year. I mean – now I, we talked about it last week when I came on your show. It was it's TJ McConnell, who who's been the guy that's been bailing him yep. out with that little falling jumper there in the paint. It's just like, you know, I mean, hey, it's working, but come on now, that can't be your best option on offense as you're closing games. And I mean, once again, they got outscored in the second half by a crappy Rockets team. They almost blew that game against Minnesota. It's like even though they've won four of the last five, it's been the most unenjoyable four wins yes. in five games. It's that's like so a, true. It's yeah. it's okay. Like, you know, it's it's hard to get excited for this team. And it's like I, I always post a video on Twitter usually when they win a game. Uh I forget what the song is called, but I, I put like highlight clips of them, like funny faces they make, whatever, just for fun. And I'm not even doing it until they get above five hundred. It's like I, I can't I can't celebrate these wins when they're bad. And I, I've just come down to the point where I'm watching this season, but I'm just very like, yeah, I, I I don't care if I miss a game, I'll go back and watch it. But it's just like I'm just not excited as, as much as I want to be. And I think if I feel that way and I'm a pretty passionate fan, you know, people that are just kind of semi-pacer fans are already completely lost with the season and have given up hope. So to me, it's like, I don't know what the Pacers do, but I think they have to make some type of change because if they don't and they run it back, I think the fan base is going to be very upset to start the season. What happens if, I mean, is what about this scenario? And I'm going to use this player, the drafted player, as an example of the type of player. What, what happens if, you know, you trade Miles, which I think, even though I've been a supporter, I think we're kind of at the end. I think that's, to me, that's what's probably going to happen in the offseason. But what about if you had, you had Brogdon, Lavert, Warren, Sabonis, and then added some quick, like Davion Mitchell type of guard? Yeah. What would that look like? I I, I don't know. It's uh, I mean, Davion Mitchell had a really good NCAA tournament, and I think he's a guy that rose up the draft boards quite a bit. I mean, he's, he's a great defender. I, I just, you know, they need a wing defender, that's for sure. I just, I don't know if it makes him that much better than Miles, especially coming in for his rookie season. They, they, need, a, they need a little bit more of a dynamic player. To- Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. 
relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. It's a really kind of fit that mold. I mean, you're not going to get a Zion-type player, but that's almost what you need to, to kind of revive this franchise. Like, they got so lucky with Paul George at 10. Like, nobody knew who that guy was. I remember... As that draft happened, I was like, Paul George, why does a guy have two first names? You know, I'm like, I've never heard of this guy. And, you know, you were used to the signings or the draftings of like Plumley and Hansborough yeah. and those kind of guys. You're just kind of sitting there like, all right, what's going on with this team? But, you know, I mean, getting a good draft pick is just the beginning. To me, to me, I would almost rather the Pacers get a higher draft pick, attach that with Miles to try to get something back you know if because we both believe that's the route they're going to go you know and you can make the case that trading Sabonis makes more sense for what this system is but if they have a couple more bad years like this with Bjorkman I mean who knows if the system's even going to be intact I just I mean Bjorkman is okay I mean I, I don't want to criticize him too much because of the crazy season we've had the amount of injuries we've had but Man, I just that defensive system, that defensive scheme, it's uh it's not looking too good. And he doesn't have the right players for it. And that's on Pritchard. I mean, if this is the guy you want as your coach and this is what he wants to run, you got to get him the right pieces. And that might mean swallowing, uh, swallowing hard and, and trading someone that you really like and some of the fans really like to make this roster better. But I just overall they've they've got to make a few changes, and that's why I've been advocating a little bit, you know, off air talking about package one of Sabonis and Turner with one of the guards, Lavert Warren or, or Brogdon, and see what kind of return that'll get you because th that to me is the best way to get this fan base super excited about the uh, the next couple of seasons. But if they just continue to run it back and make minor move after minor move after minor move, I don't think the fan base is going to be energized like the, the like the front office probably wants them to be. Yeah, you look at uh, – you mentioned Miles for like a Miles and Alonzo Ball type of thing. I, I, yeah, that might be one of the lone dudes out there with the fans around here where you go, good lord, I'd rather have Miles. I mean, and, yeah, uh, maybe. And I, I, I will say this: I the reason why I bring up a Davion Mitchell type of player is I I know that this league's about offense now, but you cannot get rid of Miles without finding some sort of perimeter defensive improvement. Yeah. And Alex. I know that these guys just can't stay in front of guys because of the lack of athleticism and quickness compared to some of those guards. But you do have to admit, these guys against guys that are perceived to be quicker than them at the guard position, really no matter who we're talking about, they go a step and a half left or right and then stop. Yeah. They do. They stop. And then it's like filtered to miles. It's almost like, well, you know, I don't think they really give it a tremendous defensive effort. And honestly, I don't think it's asked of them. I don't think it's asked of them. And that is problematic. The other aspect of it is, and this is something he's going to have to learn, um, in a game like Chicago, and I think this was the game, my recollection is accurate, where they're getting their doors blown off at home per usual, mm -hmm. and Bjorkman takes a timeout, and immediately goes to the stinking iPad, and then Calbert Cheney goes over and reads them the riot act and screams at him. Oh, that was Charlotte. Him. That was Charlotte. Charlotte, yeah, I'm sorry. It was the Charlotte game. Um, you can't have that. I mean, I know that it's real nice and sweet to be 
the players coach and hey, these guys are giving it their all and all that. But we watched that was a joke. Yeah. I mean, that defense especially was a joke. And to have Calvert rip on him in a huddle like that and have Bjorkman, you know, eyeballing his iPad like he's an 11 year old fifth grader or something was, I thought, really silly. It was silly looking, it was silly acting. And I don't think that helps whatsoever I, that, to me. And I, I don't know, going back to the defense, I don't know if anybody's really held that accountable defensively because Burke did. Yeah, I mean, Burke, did. and so did, I mean, so did McMillan, but Burke really did. But if you watch these guys play defense, I mean, you watch them tomorrow. It's going to be brutal tomorrow afternoon. <laughs> uh, tomorrow, by the way, we're taping this on a Thursday night. So yeah. um, they're playing the Jazz coming up tomorrow afternoon in Salt Lake City on a Friday. But they take a step, maybe a step and a half, either direction to try to stay in front of a man, and then they give up. Yeah. They bail, and you can tell that they bail. And the thing, the reason why I bring up Davion Mitchell, the thing that impressed me, and I know it's a national championship game, it's college, different level, but Baylor played at a pace that looked NBA level to me. Um, he's a guy that got over screens and chested up, chested up defensively, and really did try. I mean, NBA-wise, are these guys going to do this every night? They're not over an 82-game season. But I, that's what I'm looking for. At some point, I think you got to add what was once here. I mean, you got to at least a little bit prioritize, you know, what like McMillan and Burke did defensively. Because these guys can't play it, Alex, but they don't often really try to play it either. And that's mm -hmm. what is discouraging when I see it. Yeah, and I, and I want to go back to the Davion Mitchell thing because I was thinking about something as you were talking, and you said he probably won't play like that every single game. But at the same time, I think about how rookies come in and just go so hard. Yeah. And, because they're trying to prove to the, to the coach and to the players that they deserve that respect. And I think that having a rookie that's getting quality playing time going out there and busting butt for you know 48 minutes that he's on the court whatever it is you know 30 minutes whatever but I think that that could kind of be a spark to light a fire within this team like hey you know we can't let this kid out work us like hey he's really impressive we got to get out there and start busting butt too you know we got to start playing some defense and, and then back to your Bjorken thing with you know Calvert kind of stepping in there and, and getting on those guys because Bjorken is playing with his iPad I mean this is my early one-year season kind of thoughts on Bjorken. Maybe some guys are better as assistant coaches than they are head coaches, and that's not a bad thing. I mean, he could be one of the smartest guys, X's and O's wise, and he could have a great relationship with the players, but does that mean he's a great head coach? Not necessarily, and I'm not saying that he couldn't be. You know, maybe over the next couple of years we'll see something different, but to me, you know, you have to have that balance of player-coach but also know when it's time to address the situation and, and get into guys, you know. We look back at all the great stories of Slick Leonard, and, and Mel Daniels tells a great story about how he said, if you shoot any more mid-range jumpers, I'm going to punch you in the nose. And, you know, you, cannot, yeah. you can't do that in today's NBA, obviously, but some toughness is, is okay, and I think that we've gotten away from a little bit of tough coaching. Um, it's always looked as a, a negative thing to, to see someone kind of rip a player. Like, no, I, I think that a, a good coach should be able to rip a player put them in their place, but then love them, you know, seconds later, because that's, that to me is the best way to help a guy understand. If you're just constantly patting them on the back and telling them how good they are, then, then what, you know, what kind of message are you sending? And I know 
Pritchard has preached the positivity. Like that was the whole message. Every single interview that he did talking about Bjorkman, he's a real positive guy. We like how positive he is. It's like, okay, like that's fine, but I want to see what he can do on the court. I don't care how positive he is. And he might have been a perfect assistant coach to go with Nate McMillan as a head coach. But at that point, you know, I, I just feel like they they there's something lacking here as far as accountability, as far as just that toughness. And maybe they'll get it in the offseason if they do go back and shuffle the assistant coaches. But like you said, it, it cannot be on Calvert Chaney to get on the guys when a head coach is over there sitting looking at his iPad. No, and, and at, at some point, you got to pick your spots. I mean, yeah. nobody's going to suggest you're going to go out and berate them and yell at them and all that stuff. But at some point, you do you do need to pick your spots. And I just – I mean, I, I think that's that's part of it as well. These guys clearly don't have it in them to play defense at a high level. But it doesn't look like that that's prioritized or it's often asked of them. And <laughs> that is uh, – that, that's, that's to me certainly problematic. I can also look at the Toronto thing. And, you know, you can say this about every championship team, but – you know, it also depends on the personnel that you have. And, man, that Toronto system and doing what they did looks a hell of a lot better when you have Leonard and Lowry and Ananobi and Siakam and, you Danny know, Green. Gasol, two, two, three years younger at the time. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a little bit easier to find results at a high level with that than it is trying to find what you're looking for right here and right now. No, and that's a great point. I mean, you had Danny Green as well, who was a really good defender that season, and Fred Van Vliet coming off the bench, and he's probably one of the toughest guys out there in the league right now as far as, you know, not afraid of the moment. Well, so. And then now look, they're thrust into the moment, speaking of which, and, you know, look how they're performing without some of the guys we talked but about. So. I don't know if you've looked at much of their rate, their net rating or not, but it's like they, they have just had, like, the worst luck because they have a positive net rating. <laughs> and they have a losing record. So it's kind of weird because they've, they've played decently well, but they just haven't been able to win games when it matters, I guess. But that does come down to who you have on your roster and who you don't. I mean, talent wins. Yeah. I mean, we know that in the NBA. Talent it does. Wins. Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately with the Pacers, you know, they, they can use that as an excuse, but you've got a lot of good players, and I think now is the time to maybe – Look and see what you can get for one or two of them. That's that's just where I'm at with it all. I mean, I'm not attached to anybody. I would say that, you know, I, I like this team. I like the guys. I think they're good guys, but I'm not going to be upset if any of them get traded. But I do – I will say this in closing here, JMV. Talking about Miles, like it, it makes a lot of sense to to break up the double bigs. But, you know, they, they broke up the, the Thad Young-Miles Turner duo so they could get Sabonis more minutes because he wanted to start. Uh, yeah. We actually had Thad Young on our podcast talking about that. And he basically said, I would have came off the bench if they would have uh, asked me to. He said they never asked me to. Well, I mean, and that's the guy that they would love to have right now. Oh, I know. And that's what I'm I mean, saying. Right now. Think, yeah. think about how much things kind of not fell apart completely, but how much they miss of Thad Young and how he was that glue guy. If you trade Turner this offseason, you know, it might look good on paper. But he might be their new glue guy. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. He and, and let me tell you, I'm not ad, I'm not advocating that. I just think, by virtue of how they almost did it before the start of the season, that to me, it's a foregone conclusion at the end of the season that they will. But yeah. I, I certainly don't advocate it because you look at you know what they have what what they have in a mixture of players right now. I don't think gives you that luxury to be able to do it. 
but I would be shocked. I just think they're going to have to make a decision one or the other, but yeah, I could be wrong. Yeah. And it's, it's very well, if it, they very well could run it back, they very well could, you know, trade a bonus. I mean, I have this gut feeling. I, I, maybe it's just because of Paul George and Victor Oladipo, but to me, I feel like some of the frustrations I've seen from Sabonis this year would not surprise me if he wants out at the end of his contract. Um, he, I wouldn't surprise me either. Kind of wonders how much, you kind of wonder how much he likes. Like I'd agree. I mean, yeah, he, he looks ultra frustrated. Yeah, I mean, and I think he talked about it. He said having that little break where I had the ankle injury, it did help me uh, get a little break. And he he's come back and played pretty well the last four games that he's been in there. Hey. Why? Why you're? While we're thinking about it, yeah. I know you need to run here. Oh, and I know you talked to. I know you talked to Kevin Pritchard. But is it just a coincidence that Paul George wanted out and got out in the fashion of what she did? Is it a coincidence that a once loved Victor Oladipo forced his way out in the fashion that he did? Is it just a coincidence? And then the way you you know you just kind of brought up Sabonis. Yeah. You know, it wouldn't surprise me if he wanted out. There has to be – I mean, that can't be just all these three individual players, if indeed this bonus one's true. Yeah. But let's just go on the theory here that you got Oladipo and you got George. And we all kind of look at them as, well, they were just transformed into divas and, you know, Indy was not big enough and they wanted out. I mean, can we not look at the other side of this? Could there be other reasons? I mean, do they lose faith in the organization, in Kevin Pritchard? Did they want out for that reason? I mean, I know Paul has said that before I want to win, and they weren't going to give me a chance to win and the whole AD thing. And yeah. But, I mean, could it be that it's an organizational issue as much as it is an individual personality wanting to go someplace issue? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both maybe. I mean – I, I sit here and I think about that whole Paul George thing, and I know he's kind of changed his story like 15 different times whenever he talks about it. Yeah. But I think from what I heard and what I have what I think he said before too, when Larry Bird stepped down, he said, I'm done. Um, I, I don't think he had trust in whoever was going to replace Larry Bird. And we saw Paul George talking to Cassius Stanley and O'Shea said at the end of that Clippers game, and we know that he had the ear of Victor Oladipo as well. So, yeah. If he's talking yeah, bad I, about I was, the I was told he called back here. I was told he called back here often and said, hey, um, and he was talking about Nate McMillan. He said, mm. Nate's never going to have your best interest in mind. And and also I've heard where Vic didn't like Pritchard. And I asked Pritchard this too about their relationship because I was told that Vic didn't like him. Vic yeah. didn't trust him. And that a lot of people, that is like the word because these players talk to one another. And that's the oh, word yeah. around the NBA, not – to trust Pritchard. Now, this is not stuff I talk about all the time, certainly, but, you know, these are rumors that I've heard because, I mean, you do start trying to – and it just occurred to me when you mentioned Sabonis. Yeah. You know, because of how he looks and his reactions and being upset all the time if, you know, maybe when his contract is is ending that he wouldn't wouldn't want to be back or wouldn't want to come back. And I mean, it makes you wonder if, if there's something more to it than just these – these personalities that want to go someplace else. I mean, I, I think if, if you had a million guesses, Alex, would you have ever guessed that Oladipo's situation would have absolutely turned into what we have witnessed? I oh, mean, not in a mid-year number one. No. That, the way he played, I mean, that is it is incredible. There has – I'm sorry, man. There has to be something else going on other than 
hey, he was the mass singer. Hey, he wants to sing. Hey, he's a diva. He wants to be in Miami. He wants to be there, wherever. To me, there has to be something more to it than just it being on all the depot. Um, and, and, and listen, uh, maybe I have to reevaluate what I think about Paul to a degree, too. I mean, maybe I, all I know is I know he put them in the worst situation in history. I mean, I know he talked out of both sides of his mouth, which he does. And that's that's something I rail on all the time. But it makes you wonder if there's something else deeply rooted uh, organizationally that's not going on there, too. Yeah, I think with Paul, he's just a guy that likes to be liked. And he kind of reminds me a little bit of Kevin Durant. He's always worried about what people are saying about him. Wants to win at the highest level. And he wanted to do it in his hometown. Like he talked about California ad nauseum whenever he was here. So, I mean, he got that big contract with that extension. They were competing for, you know, the Eastern Conference championship against LeBron. I mean, like he was in a good spot. And then once they got rid of Hibbert, I think that kind of sent him the wrong way. They got rid of George Hill for Jeff Teague. He didn't like that idea. I think that's what kind of frustrated him is like all the guys that he was close with, they kind of started getting rid of and trying to retool and rebuild the roster. But really when they were retooling, it wasn't really doing anything. It wasn't moving the needle. It was actually bringing them back a little bit down the standings. And I think when it comes to Vic, one of the things that happened after that first season, he came back that next year and he had that knee injury, came back, and it seems like from what I've heard, and I'm sure you've heard the same thing, they brought him back a little bit earlier than he probably wanted to come back. And when he re-aggravated that knee injury in 18-19 uh, and then ended up getting that you know year-long injury, it kind of had him like, man, they, they brushed me back, they pushed me back so they could win games and they didn't care about me, and that's where the whole – you know, Paul George probably saying stuff about McMillan not having the best interest for him. Yeah. I think all that ties together. But then you saw KP really try to let Vic rehab in Miami. You know, they let him do the massing or they let him do whatever he wanted. And there was, from what I heard, people that were upset in the organization that he was doing Massinger and not with his team. He didn't make it back for that playoff series, I believe, um, against the Celtics. He was supposed to be there for game three or four or whatever when they were about to get swept with uh, Bojan and that group. And he basically like didn't make the flight or something. It, I, it just rubbed me the wrong way that year too when he didn't make that flight. It's like, hey, how do you miss your flight? I mean, yeah, <laughs> you've been off yeah. Miami for so long. It just a lot of head scratching things. And with Sabonis, I'm not really sure. Like, he's not a guy that says much, so I don't think he has that big personality. But my biggest thing with him is his fiance from California. He was out there in the off season. Um, she's come to visit him a few times and. You know, he's always talking about how it's much warmer in California. Like, not saying that he wouldn't want to be here long term, but I just, if they continue to go down this same path of good but not great, but like they're just a very above average team, but not like anything special, players aren't going to want to stick around here. They might stick around for the contract and be here for a couple of years, hope they get traded, hope they, you know, find a new home later. But unless they go out there and put their stamp on making this team, not even a championship contender, so to say, but just, a team that can get out of the first round, I think that would speak volumes because the city's not the biggest draw. I mean, it's a good, it's a good fan base, good organization, but at the same time, you know, they, it's it to me. I just I don't know what to think of Kevin Pritchard and that organization as far as how the players feel about him. I know KP's been absolutely wonderful to me as a person. Um, you know, very, very, very complimentary and very kind to me. But I, I mean, if the players aren't happy, I mean. Is it his fault? I don't have a clue. I, I'd be lying if I said I had any inclination uh, if he was part of the problem. Yeah, that's just yeah, that's stuff for another day. But it's just stuff that occurs to you when you think about. Oh yeah, what all has transpired. So yeah, yeah, no doubt. Well, 
thanks for uh, thanks for coming yeah. on. I know tonight's your Friday night since you're off tomorrow, so the Pacers play during your uh, showtime. So um, where can people find you at if they're not listening to you? I know we have some non-Indianapolis uh, people that listen to this podcast. So where can they find you at if they're not li- listening to you? Well, let's locally? see. You can go to at JMV1070 on, on Twitter and uh, tell me how much I love Miles and how wrong I am about that, as people normally do. Um, so we do that Monday through Friday. Obviously, the fan in Indianapolis here, three until six. Um, and, and we definitely hit everything. There's no question about that. Uh, three until six on the fan. That's 93.5107.5, uh, 10.70 a.m. And you can find us on the app, the iHeartRadio app. Just ask for 107.5, the fan, and it'll go there. Plus, I kind of added this during the pandemic oh, a little over a year ago because I was just kind of dicking around and going, man, I'm bored. So I, I went in to B1057, which is – um, kind of a, a hot AC, if you will, music station. And they let me go on from six until midnight every Saturday night and start uh, playing whatever people want to hear. So we take take calls for six hours and people request what they want to hear. And I play them back with their requests like it's old school radio again. So we started <laughs> that up. And yeah, I don't think I'm ever going to get out of that. Uh, <laughs> That's so, a long I mean, I, I do like, don't get me wrong. I like doing it, man. I do. I like doing it, but it's uh, it's a pretty tremendous chunk of your Saturday yeah. right there. Um, every Saturday too. Good grief. <laughs> every, every Saturday it is uh, by myself. And I don't know how to run like 25% of the equipment. I know how to run because Kyle Udemark produces for me. He does all that. I don't have I don't know my ass from nothing when it comes to <laughs> that equipment. So if anything like goes haywire, I just got to shut her all down and leave because I don't know what the hell to do with it. But uh, yeah. yeah, we do that every every Saturday night six until midnight. It's live in studio, and it's it's really if, if anybody out there is old enough to remember, you know, the the older school radio where you had the live DJ and they played back your calls. And I mean, it's it is it is a lot of fun, and it, it's something that I think has been lost in the shuffle of. Spotify and um, and Pandora and services like that, where you just got songs you want to hear at your fingertips. It's still something I think really enjoyable about you know natural live and, and in this case local radio. And that's B one hundred five seven. You can find them on the iHeartRadio app too at B one hundred five point seven. And uh, every I give away beer and I don't know if I'm even allowed to give away alcohol all the time. I don't know if I'm allowed to or not. I'm not checking ID. <laughs> Somebody's probably going to pinch me one of these days for that. But uh, <laughs> we give away large city bourbon all the time. We give away fat tire beer from New Belgium Brewing. This weekend, it's Italian food from Puccini's Pizza and Pasta. So we it's do a lot stuff. of a lot of fun, st- a lot of fun stuff for real. And um, yeah, otherwise, just come on board to the fan, and we'll chat about whatever Pacer fans want to chat about. Because I think I think this is good, and, and you maybe you're right. Maybe they're going to run it back again. But I, I think for the veteran of the team, this probably should be some sort of redefining transformational type of offseason because I think we've we've seen all that there needs to be seen. I'm, I'm, I'm going in with uh, low expectations, so I'm not disappointed. <laughs> My expectations were a little higher this year than they uh, – it should have been because right. I thought they might trade two guys and Turner and Oladipo, but they didn't. So um, can I ask you a bonus question that's not related yeah. to the Pacers? So uh-huh. obviously we know your name is John Michael Vincent, but how did you go from a guy named John to getting your initials as what people know you by, JMV? Uh, there was a guy in this market 
named Mark Patrick. Okay. Mark Patrick was on Wish TV Channel 8 back in the late 80s and through the 90s. He basically did every job imaginable around here. He, he did this. He was on the Bob and Tom show doing voices, doing the Harry Carey voice, doing the Marge Shot voice back in the day. He hosted the Hoosier Lottery back when the Hoosier Lottery was a weekly half-hour money giveaway television show. Um, he did a variety of things. He was he was the superstar of the Indianapolis market, um, really across the board, media-wise, from the late 80s through the 90s and into the early 2000s. And when I was hired at then WNDE, which is across town, to start working there, um, I was running the board. Uh, I just so happened somebody that quit, um, and I started running the board for Mark. That uh, was Mark Patrick on sports um, in 2000. And I was basically the Kyle Unimark for, for Mark Patrick. And then it kind of became more of me chiming in, leaning on me a little bit more. And then 2004, November, literally, I took over, I think, a week before the brawl happened uh, in the Palace of Auburn Hills. Oh, wow. Um, Mark, um, Mark was doing Fox Sports Radio nationally beginning at 6 a.m. And so they took they, they decided to go ahead and, 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 and give me the afternoon local show three until six um, in November of 04. Uh, prior to that, he, I was, I called myself John Michael, right? My, my, my first and my middle name. And there was an actor back in the day, Alex named Jan Michael Vincent. Um, you have to look this up. I mean, it's way, way, way older than you. Jan Michael Vincent. He was in something called The World's Greatest Athlete. He was in a television show in the 80s on CBS called Airwolf. Um, it was kind of like Blue Thunder at the time, but it was Airwolf is what it was called. Jan Michael Vincent was the actor. He's dead. But um, he started calling me the illegitimate son of Jan Michael Vincent. <laughs> and when somebody of the magnitude of Mark starts, you know, referencing you as, you know, a day, you just take it. And I that just kind of became my name, John Michael Vincent. And then that morphed into the initials JMV. And I don't even, I mean, you know, I have a completely other, different name and I don't even use it. I mean, if I, <laughs> I mean, really, it's just kind of over the past. Well, I mean, since I've been with Mark and he started doing that over the past 20 years, that's basically it. So, yeah, it was because of a a, a now deceased actor named Jan Michael Vincent, and it kind of morphed into John Michael Vincent that's morphed into JMV, which is uh, where I am now. And that's Mark Patrick. Mark Patrick, by the way, maybe give you a little bit more insight. Mark Patrick's son was Drew Storen, okay. uh, a former Major League Baseball reliever for the Nationals and the Reds and the Mariners and others. Um, Drew Storm, who I think is officially retired now, he, he tried to play a couple of years ago again after Tommy John surgery. Mm. But uh, his, his uh, Mark Patrick's son is Drew Storen, who lives here in Indianapolis too. So I, I talked to Drew, um, not regularly, but often. And um, yeah, he's friends with Tucker Barnhart of the Reds, who their catcher, who's a friend of mine and, you know, they're all three from Brownsburg. So, yeah, Mark Patrick, that's how that name came about from a guy that he owned. He owned this market for the better part of, you know, 12, 13 years. I mean, he was he was doing absolutely everything. Uh, Reggie wow. Miller was showing up on Geist at his birthday party. I think Drew Storen 
had a birthday, maybe his 10th birthday or something like that. Reggie Miller showed up at it. I mean, he, uh, yeah, he was, he was it back in the day for real. When somebody of that magnitude, you know, gives you a name, you just kind of go with it. I mean, he could have named me, you know, Dr. Dickenstein or something. And I'd have to go with that. Uh, So, (laughs) I mean, it just, it wouldn't have mattered, man. He had that type of clout. So you just roll with it. Yeah, absolutely, man. That's great, man. I, I, I did never know. And so I was just like, I got, I got to ask because I've never seen anybody go by their, uh, their initials for their name. And, um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, John Michael's accurate, but, uh, yeah, Vincent has nothing to do with it other than Jan Michael Vincent. That uh, was, okay. that was Mark Patrick basically 20 so the, years ago. So the V is not even real. It's just made up. The V, that's yeah, a G. It's actually John Michael Gliva is the last name of all things. So, yeah, it's not <laughs> even close. If that's I hilarious. say that, people go, what? <laughs> so, well, that's that that. Is, that's hilarious because my co-host that's usually with me, his name is Mike Focci, and I uh, I just started calling him Michael J. Focci, and he doesn't even have a middle name with J. It just kind of stuck. And uh, yeah, because so, of Michael J. Fox. Yeah, yeah it just kind of rolls off the tongue. So I just I just do it every single time, and he doesn't say anything. We just roll with it. Um, and then a lot of people don't realize my actual real name is Jeffrey with a G, and my middle name is Alexander. So you know why I don't go by my initials. G A G is not the most pleasant uh, <laughs> <laughs> initials so you to go by Jag. Yeah. Hey, would Pritchard come on with you if you went by Jag? <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> But it's uh, in the face of Jag. Well, yeah. it actually, it's actually Gag because it's Jeffrey with a G. So. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, well, Jag no. would have been. I would have gone with Jag if that were me. I would. I mean, I gag. You gag, probably don't no. want Jag. But... <laughs> no way. <laughs> I I blame my I parents mean, hey, for that. Listen, one. <laughs> no, go with it. Go with it. It'd be like Pulp Fiction, right? Like yeah. go with Gag Ball. You could call your podcast Gag Ball. Kind of like remember the Gag Balls they they had in on Ving Rhames and. And uh, Bruce Willis in the basement there in Pulp Fiction. Remember the gag balls? It, to be Pulp honest, Fiction? I haven't seen that movie in so long. I'm not a big movie buff guy. It's, uh, God, when... you make me feel so damn old, man. <laughs> I God, just don't watch movies. Perfect. I just don't watch them. I just, I've been a sports guy growing up. And, and you know what's weird is I'm a weird TV person. I like like 90s TV. That's that's kind of a weird thing about me. I love. Well, that's a, that's a 1994 movie. Quentin yeah, Tarantino it's a movie. Classic right there. But, so. I just I spent most of my days growing up like watching Fresh Prince, Family Matters, Full House, Say by the Bell, that kind of stuff, you know. So that's all right. Uh, well, ask uh, Michael J. Fauci, Fox or whatever. <laughs> yeah, ask him who uh, what gag ball and gag ball and uh, the Gimp references mean in the film Pulp Fiction. I'll let him tell you. All right, I'm sure he'll know. He's pretty. Uh, he's pretty knowledgeable. He's a New York guy. Uh, actually lives in um, he lives in Virginia now, so it's kind of funny how we met up. But uh, he's a, he's a big Pacer fan. He said that him watching Reggie kill the Knicks is what made him like the Pacers and not the Knicks. So interesting. Those are glorious times, right there. Yeah. With the passing of Slick earlier this yeah. week, it just makes you think about just how special those Pacer moments were with Reggie Miller and those mm-hmm. Knicks battles and Boom Baby and and all that. And, you know, at the time, man. I'm glad we all soaked it. I soaked it up. I know that because they have yeah. been horrible, you know, basically throughout my existence. And then that transformation in the nineties and, and boom, baby was so damn enjoyable. And, you know, you get to the finals in 2000 and still hoping one of these days you get to that level again. Absolutely. Well, thanks again for joining me, JMV. It was a lot yep. of fun. 
Um, we'll have to be back, back on. Maybe you can talk with Fachi a little bit too uh, next time we get you back on. But uh, yeah, thanks. yeah. Ask him about Gag Ball and, and the Gimp and Pulp Fiction. This year. Gag, I, I Gag Ball sounds like a good podcast name, right? There. So yeah, <laughs> I don't. Uh, I, you know, you'd have a completely different listenership. I think if you yes. were my Gag Ball, yeah. I don't. I don't know if we get a lot of Pacer fans, but uh, we get some weirdos coming after us. But yeah. uh, but for sure, thanks again for coming on. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns, legends whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history, relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June sixth, only on Showtime.